Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I am your host. Thank you for joining me. Um, my guest today uh, would be the best way to describe her as a survivor. She's also an author and activist, and she's a survivor, author, and activist of life and for life. She's the author of a book called You Carried Me, a Daughter's Memoir, and she's the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. Welcome, Melissa Odin. Nice to see you. Thank you. The pronunciation of the last name is the hardest part. <laughs> I got it right, though, right? You did. Thank okay, you. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad. So, um, so, so I kind of give a quick description of your story. And, um, you know, as I was kind of looking into it and doing some research, it, I see from your website that at age 14, you learned that you were a survivor of a botched abortion, correct? That's correct. Our world would say that this doesn't happen and people like me don't exist. Yeah. Now, how did you find out? How, what was the source or the manner in which you found that information out? Yeah, that's a burning question. I am one of the survivors who are adopted. Uh, believe it or not, the majority of survivors that I know of actually are raised by their biological family. Okay, interesting. But I am one of those survivors who is adopted. And so I grew up knowing I was adopted. Uh, what I didn't know is that there was a whole backstory behind why I was placed for adoption. My adoptive parents knew about the failed abortion. Uh, they had been told that I would be a, you know, quote unquote, back then they would say special needs child uh, because of the complications from surviving that abortion. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and dad knew it. And I think like most parents in that position, they kept it a secret from me and uh, my brother and sister uh, wanting to protect us from the truth. And, you know, a very unplanned kind of thing happened at my house when I was 14. My older sister, who was also adopted, faced an unplanned pregnancy. Mm. She was still in high school. And even though we didn't talk a lot about abortion, I knew of it. I mm. was very politically minded at the age of 14. Um, but we talked in our family a lot about what a gift adoption was to my sister and I. And, you know, we were people of faith. We were raised uh, with faith. And so we knew about the dignity and value of life. And so when my sister was facing that unplanned pregnancy, you know, our parents, I think, probably thought, well, this is a no brainer. <laughs> you know, she's going to choose life. This is the way we've raised her. And what they never realized is that she was contemplating abortion. Okay. And so when my mom and dad found out that my sister was considering abortion as an option, they decided to tell her my survival story, hoping that she would understand just how big that decision she was considering uh, in her life and her child's life. And that's ultimately how I found out. She found out and like any good teenage sister did not keep her mouth shut. <laughs> uh, I can laugh about it now as you can imagine. It was uh, incredibly traumatic. She didn't tell me everything. I mean, honestly, if she would have told me, I wouldn't have believed her Yeah, because I couldn't have imagined anything 
like these circumstances, but she did encourage me to ask our parents for more to the story of my life. And it was really ominous, you know, as a, a teenage sister's fight can be. Mm-hmm. And, and she just told me, you know, ask mom and dad to tell you the truth and you will see <laughs> thinking, yeah, okay, great. Never was I expecting to sit my mom down later that night and have her have to struggle to come up with the words that communicated that, yeah, by the way, Melissa, you survived a failed abortion. And it really was incredibly traumatic. And not just for me, it was horrific for my mom. You know, no parent should ever have to tell their their child news like that. And you know, I wish that I could tell the world that when I found out the story of my, my survival, I just embraced it and ran with it. But no, that's not usually how it goes. Yeah, I was going to ask is what was your, you know, you were 14. So you're, you're young and, you know, immature in a sense, mm-hmm. as we all were at 14. What was your feeling or response to that? I mean, it was every rush of emotion that you can imagine. It was such shame Mm -hmm. because I had never heard of anybody like me before and our world even still today heaps so much shame Mm -hmm. on survivors like me you don't exist you must be a liar you just wanted to be famous you're a republican made you know (laughs) fiction in order to attack Roe versus Wade the shame just piles on Mm -hmm. And it did even the moment that I heard my story because I knew what the world said about women's rights and abortion. And so here I am at the age of 14, thinking I'm a feminist in theory, as much as a 14 year old girl can. And suddenly I was thinking, I mean, can I even be that anymore? Because I don't know anybody who's a feminist who says that what happened to me isn't okay. Mm And so it was a very lonely place to be. A lot of it, I couldn't even talk to anybody else about because it didn't make any sense to me. How was it ever going to make sense to, right. to anybody else? And so, yeah, I struggled with shame and embarrassment and anger towards my biological parents for the first time. You know, my mom and dad raised us to know that our birth parents loved us mm-hmm. enough to give us life. And then you face something like this and, and the immediate response is, they couldn't have loved me, could they? And so you do go through this process of soul searching and seeking, but yeah, anger and resentment and fear, fear of who I really was, fear of anybody ever finding out who I am. And you know, this fear that suddenly everything I thought I knew about myself really wasn't true. I think it's hard enough to be 14 and struggle with identity. Right. I've yeah. had a 12 year old in the house who grapples with that already. Uh, and I can so remember what it was like to be 14, even as an adoptee trying to figure out who I was. And then you throw on this whole other identity that, that nobody back then really talked about or understood. And yeah, it was like the perfect storm. Yeah. I, I could imagine. And, and, yeah, that that's that's really amazing, and I can't imagine what anyone would think, uh, having experienced that. Um, it, you you do talk about uh, in your book and on your website, uh, which it's a great website. I'd uh, I'm actually going to share my screen for uh, for those that uh, are watching this uh, on video, just to see real quick uh, your website. So 
melissaodin.com. It's a great website. There's a lot of good information on here. It talks about your story and and um, your book. And in, in on here on the website, if you're watching it, you can see that you did meet with uh, your birth mother. Um, at what age did you finally meet her? Or I should say, in, contact her because I, I would imagine you maybe contacted her by mail or by phone or something first. How, how did that go? Yeah, that's a long journey to walk out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no matter what people believe about abortion, I think it piques people's curiosity that I would ever even want to have contact with my birth mother, Ruth. Mm-hmm. And that was part of my healing process. It's, I think forgiveness for me is this continual process that you live out because life happens and you're confronted with things in life and you have to make that choice of, okay, so now that I know this, or now that I've given birth to my own children and it brings up a set of emotions, you know, am I going to choose to forgive in the face of this? And Mm -hmm. so it has been this, you know, (laughs) journey of of peaks and valleys, but I started looking for my birth parents when I was about 19. You know, I had already forgiven them in that span of 14 to 19, as much as you can with that knowledge that you have. And so knew that I wanted to find them because I wanted them to know that I'm not angry. I wasn't at the age of 19. I was over that part. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted them to hear that from me. And I certainly, you know, had questions that I wanted answered about why that had to happen. And so started looking for them and it took me about 10 years to find out who my birth parents were. Uh, I think those are some formative years in your life. Uh, I often tell people who are searching even for biological family as adoptees. I think we go searching for people when yes, that's part of it, but we're also just searching to find ourselves. And that's who I needed to find in those 10 years more than anything. I needed to accept who I am, regardless of whether I ever found them and Mm -hmm. found them in 2007 through my medical records. I'm one of the few survivors who has medical records. Uh, That makes it kind of fun when you go to places like testifying before Congress, because they want to throw around, you know, liar, liar, liar. And you're going, here you go. And then it changes that tune. (laughs) Uh, They still have arguments, but it takes out that fire. But it was through those medical records that I found my birth parents. It took though another, oh gosh, six years after that, before I had a lot of communication with my birth mother's family. When I found out who she was, I couldn't find her, but I sent a letter to her parents uh, because I could find them. And, you know, they graciously sent me a photo, which is when I realized like the rest of the world, Ruth and I look nothing alike. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) I look exactly like my biological father, Uh, but I sound a lot like Ruth. And, uh, you know, my, my grandparents let me know back then that they were estranged from Ruth and my messages would not be passed along to her. And that, you know, entered a six year phase where I had to, again, let go of what I wanted to see happen. And I did. And, you know, suddenly in 2013, one of her cousins reached out to me and let me know really the greatest secrets that could have existed, that the abortion was forced on her. That was not anything my adoptive parents had ever been told. And also, you know, horrifically that she had spent over 30 years of her life believing that I had died that day. Wow. 
Wow. That's a big one. That's a huge one. So when you contacted her, ultimately, she had no concept that you were even alive, is what you're saying. Well, in that weird time frame of having contact with her family and then hearing from them again, it slipped out within the family because I came forward with my story during that time. And as much as I wanted her to hear from me first, they prevented that from happening. And suddenly one of her family members saw me on a TV interview, knew in a moment that it was me based on the circumstances and they finally told her and you can imagine there is no (laughs) there's no preparation for something like this it was horribly shocking but at the same time just this blessing to her that I was alive right you Mm -hmm. get this mix of just horror and and happiness that your child is alive and it was about three years between the fact she was told and then her cousin reached out to me. And really the only reason why they reached out to me when they did is because I had made it public that my family and I were moving to Kansas city, which is where we still live. Mm. And this is where Ruth lives. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I don't know if you're, you, you, maybe you go into it in your book uh, and I'm sure your book is uh, full of greater details. So I would suggest anyone interested in the greater uh, details of the story to to get your book um, called "You Carried Me: A Daughter's Memoir." Um, did she? You, you had mentioned that she was forced into it. Was she forced by? Uh, are you able to get into that, or did you find out how was she forced? Was she manipulated by the abortion facility, or what was it? Yeah, that's another burning question. I, I just testified for a born alive bill the other day, uh, virtually for uh, the state of South. Dakota and North Dakota. And it was really interesting because after I testified, someone got up after me and said, you know, even though I support Melissa as an abortion survivor, you know, her mom is not a victim. Hmm. And I was listening in virtually thinking, but she was, Mm -hmm. and she was for so long. And our world wants to posit abortion as a choice and a right. And what people don't like to talk about is that you know, about 64% of women identify feeling pressured into their abortion. The number that outright face coercion and use that word is well into 40 some percent the last time I checked it. Mm-hmm. So there is very little choice for most women. And in my birth mother's circumstance, it, it is quite dramatic. My maternal grandmother was a prominent nurse, nurse educator, uh, was a good friend of the local abortionist worked with him on the OBGYN floor because he delivered babies one minute and was taking their lives the next as many Uh, do. Yeah. And so that's how it was forced on her. They could make it happen. I mean, anything you can imagine, she did not have the option to run away and they put her in the hospital, you know, believing that no one would ever find out that it wasn't her choice. Ruth grew up knowing that she could not, should not stand up to her mother. Mm -hmm. She had to do what she was told to do. And when someone medically has the means to do that and leave you incapacitated. Yeah. Then you're out of choices in a way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting how, you know, I I've had uh, that this is my podcast is uh, not, 
specifically a pro-life podcast per se, although I've covered that, this topic more than anything by far because uh, fides is Latin for knowledge, faith, and truth. So if you're going to cover those three topics, then of course, abortion is, uh, is, is really number one. But so many of the people I've talked to have talked about how they were manipulated, denied information from groups like Planned Parenthood or abortion doctors. They were uh, told, uh, they found out later that the, the nurse or the counselor was told, do not let them leave uh, mm -hmm. once they come in. Um, a gentleman I had on my podcast was telling me, he grew up in South Central Los Angeles, and he said, look, if a woman gets pregnant, uh, a lot of times the guy is going to say, you take care of that baby meaning get rid of it, or I'm going to take care of both of you. Mm. And, you know, certainly that is, you know, far from a choice and um, that kind of thing. So um, you, you know, your story is, is quite, quite moving and, and quite amazing. Um, you ultimately started uh, the group, um, the, uh, the abortion survivors network. And so that would, uh, that would imply that there are others like you out there and, uh, you know, tell me about that group and what you do and, and, and how it's going. Yeah, I've gone on, I've come a long way from being the 14 year old girl who was so lonely <laughs> and didn't know that anybody else like me ever existed. Yeah. And it really started to change, you know, when I was about 19, the internet came out, ha, <laughs> my kids love hearing that. Right. I mean, that was a game changer back then. Yep. I remember and the very first thing I Googled was abortion survivor. Hmm found out that Gianna Jessen was a survivor, survived the same type of abortion procedure that I did. And just knowing that there was even one person lifted that burden for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I came forward with my story in 2007, nearly everywhere I would go, interviews that I would be on, someone would send me an email, right? Or whisper to me in a room, hey, I'm one of you. And so that's really how the Abortion Survivors Network came to be, because I came to realize that there are abortion survivors living in plain sight every single day. I mean, I know people who have worked in the White House, someone who was in the CIA. I know prominent businessmen in California. You name it, we're out here. Wow. The oldest survivor that we've connected with who's still living is in their 80s so obviously that means wow. that they survived before abortion was legalized right uh, our youngest survivor is a little 25 week old baby boy who was born at the beginning of the pandemic and the abortionist response when the mom didn't want to finish the abortion procedure because she was in so much pain his response was if this baby is born you are going to still pay me and if you're further along than I thought you were, then you're going to owe me more money. Wow. <laughs> Such a caring person uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, that became a doctor. That's really sad. Um, and so your group, you know, kind of gets together and support each other, I presume, and, and obviously reaches out to others that, as you said, maybe think they're alone and then they've come to find out they're not alone. That's got to be a great feeling for them. Yeah, we're a one-stop shop. So we have uh, healing support. So I have a master's degree in social work. I wrote a specific healing curriculum that we use. Mm -hmm. We do small groups. We get together virtually on a monthly basis with survivors as far away as Australia. Uh, we have a retreat that we're offering virtually this year and we're going to meet face-to-face. -face. That's just even a game changer seeing someone else yeah. who is like you yeah uh, 
And we also do advocacy work, obviously. I mean, I wish that we didn't have to tell the world that our lives have dignity and value and that so do the lives of unborn children in our world today. Mm -hmm. But if it's not going to be us, then who is it going to be? Right. Yeah. And in your, in your story is uh, your story and your, your, your passion uh, in what you're doing is all the more relevant. I think you're going to need to go to, and you probably have been to Virginia. The Virginia governor is famous for being caught saying, uh, you know, Hey, if it's born alive, uh, we, we leave it there and we decide what to do. I mean, you know, awful. Uh, we know certainly Barack Obama and the uh, Illinois Senate, uh, when he was in the state Senate, he voted present on the born or voted against it. I forget. You probably would know, um, in the, three times. yeah, three, that's right. That's right. Um, so, you know, that this is, is someone once told me, you know, the pro abortionists and those on the left, they don't compromise. They don't say, you know what, you know, what? maybe we need to, you know, limit abortions or maybe we, they go further to the, even to the point of saying, if it's a born alive, we should have the ability to kill it. So this is a fight that, that continues and will continue for a long time. Even if it's ever made illegal, the fight just might get harder actually. Who knows? But, um, Melissa, thank you so much. This was very, very interesting. Really great. Again, I want, um, if you could maybe, you know, mention your, your website again and how people can find you and uh, uh, find your book and, and the like, because I'd, I'd love for people to, uh, you know, search you on, on Facebook and on the internet, on the, your website and, and definitely read your book. Absolutely. My website is Melissa Odin, O-H-D-E-N.com. For the Abortion Survivors Network, it's abortionsurvivors.org. We also have have a, a C4, so an education and policy side. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can fight uh, with policy and that's educationandpolicycenter.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, all those handles for the abortion survivor side. And my handle is just at Melissa Odin. You can find my book, You Carried Me, on my website. And I'll have another book coming out in the fall, uh, which we'll be announcing more about soon, but it's going to include 10 to 12 abortion survivor stories for the very first time. Wow, that's great. Okay, so we'll have to look for it in the fall. Um, if you want to, you know, could let me know, I'll definitely, uh, you know, promote it when it's out, uh, so that people can get it. I'll look forward to it myself. Um, but, it, you know, looking at your website, if, the, if there was a, a number of different sites or, or places that you mentioned, if you go to Melissa Oden, O-H-D-E-N.com, uh, your website has really everything you'll need or and can point you in the right direction as well. Um, your the the front of your website says we rise by lifting others live love and forgive and you've uh, you've definitely shown that and I'm certain have helped a lot of other people uh, live love and forgive so uh, thanks for all that you're doing and thank you for being on my show I really appreciate it and uh, uh, hope to have you again sometime thank you so much Okay. And well, thank you for listening. I appreciate all of you being here to for another episode of Fides podcast. Thank you to Melissa Odin, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks.